When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus from Sean Hackett, this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Sean Hackett back on here from Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Another exciting day in the world of markets and, and, and such. So. Yes. It's going to be a first-class day, Sean. I feel good about it. We have got um, <laughs> we've got we've got a uh, just a little bit of a scenario that I want to get further clarification on. Like last time we talked about on the last podcast that we did, kind of about the drought cycles that you saw happen and what they looked like, kind of going through twenty twelve and those kind of things. And then you know we, we've talked a lot about the Glassberg cycle and what that looks like. Well. Before we started recording, we, um, we were kind of batting around on what we were going to talk about, and uh, one of the things that came up was was the drought situation that we're in. We're in the driest April, like you said, we're in the driest April since 1979. Um, the Palmer Drought Index is measured by three things, and that's heat, drought, and um, wind, and there's no lack of wind out in my area right now. I mean, it's typically windy out here, but it's like abnormally windy here of late. So that's something to talk about too. But I guess, Sean, talk a little bit about 
the drought situation that you see and how it's developing up and these weather patterns that we're seeing. Because when I looked in April, when I looked at my phone, and I, every day I'd kind of plan my week around what's going on in the weather, there were so many chances of rain that never materialized. If you, everyone thinks we hit a wet April. I talked yeah. to so many people like, oh, no, April was wet. I said, no, the, the models kept saying it was going to be wet, but it wasn't. In fact, it was the third for the, for the entire grain belt as, a, as in its entirety. Third driest April since 1979, considerably drier than 2012, by the way. Remember in 2012, we didn't have any really zero um, moisture issues until we got to the end of May and then it, and then it triggered. Um, so, you know, one of the things, why was the 1930s called the Dust Bowl? Because of crazy winds that we had during that time. That went along with the dryness, that went along with the high heat. Um, we have had exorbitantly above normal winds through a good portion of the Midwest pretty consistently um, through April and now into May. I mean, I-855 shut down um, because of massive um, uh, winds that caused uh, traffic, I mean, uh, accidents and pileups and then the they 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 they, they said that the uh, the, the crops that here that had already emerged in some areas that got out early, you know, they're being sandblasted literally by the winds and just destroying any of the crops that had emerged. Not a lot, but I mean, we're, we're just getting insane windfall. So when you when you're measuring Palmer drought index, you know, people say, what does a severe drought require? It requires there's colors of the Palmer drought severity index. You have light yellow, which means eh. You have orange, which means hmm. You have dark orange, which means, mm, and you have black, which means you're screwed. And a serious drought like two that's or a higher order drought like Gleisberg drought means that the majority of the core grain belt is black. The way you get black, Casey, is you need to have obviously a lack of rainfall. You obviously have to have high heat and you have to have winds i mean i mean people think that a drought means you get no rainfall the entire season that is actually not true i want to give a great example in argentina this growing season they got three to four inches of rain in late june early february if you recall the grain markets had a big knockdown during that period of time I mean, they actually free fell just for a little while everyone thought that the crop had been saved two weeks later there was no improvement in the crop because they had high heat the rain stopped and the winds were outrageous and the evaporation index is something you actually can measure on a daily basis. The government puts out an evaporation index of how much the moisture. So you can put the moisture in the ground, but if it evaporates as fast as you put it in, it doesn't do any good. Right. So uh, you are going to get rain in a drought year, but it, the key is, do you have enough heat, wind and more and, and enough persistent dryness to keep you in the black? Black is an extreme arid situation that does not allow for crops to grow in any way shape or form normally so that so so that's so, so if this is going to be a higher order drought or a glassberg cycle drought then iowa and illinois and indiana you know and let's say um eastern nebraska need to be like black or near or dark red or black um we the last time we saw black in that region was 2012. The last time we saw black in a more expansive region, you'd have to go back um, to like 1988. 
And of course, the Gleisberg cycle in 1934 was just off the charts. I mean, it was just a, it was, it was just, it was, it was just an off the chart, higher order beyond even what we consider a severe drought. You know, all I know is, so, so what do you want to look for? You want to look, are we developing a dry pattern? We are. And May, for everything that I see, Casey, all the teleconnections I'm looking at say that May is going to continue the dry pattern. And obviously, based upon this week, the winds aren't stopping. They're actually getting worse. The question now is, when will the heat arrive? You know, and we're working on very hard now with our models and our algorithm to kind of pick up when we, the timing of when the extreme heat pattern will begin. Um, And, you know, it doesn't have to begin now. It just needs to, it needs that the high heat needs to kick in, you know, mid late June at the latest, the earlier, the better, but you know, we're pretty confident. Now, one of the things that has been a part of every major hot uh, cycle or drought cycle is that you have very warm sea surface temperatures in general, and specifically a very warm Atlantic ocean sea surface temperatures. Um, if you look at ocean temperatures right now, we're at a 40-year high. By the way, that's normal. You go through a 40-year warming cycle and a 40-year cooling cycle. We're at the peak of the 40-year warming cycle um, that began in the early 1980s. So we have the hottest sea surface temperatures we've had in 40 years, which means the risks are that the temperatures where a dome develops is going to be beyond hot. So the key is where is the dome going to develop? We know if you looked at the, the dome that developed in Argentina, record heat. We know the, do- the dome that's developed in Spain, record heat. You know, we, we know where the dome sets up, we get crazy, crazy heat. So when we look at where a dome typically will lie, you look over to the Pacific Ocean. So the Atlantic Ocean is really big on the temperature. Pacific Ocean tells you where the dome is going to show up. And the two ways to do that is, first of all, you really need to have what's called a negative Pacific decadal oscillation, which we've talked about in your show a lot. Yeah. It's those cold sea surface temperatures off of California. We still have them. And there's no example that they're going to go away through the growing season, meaning that we're going to keep that area cold, at least for the growing season. Now, they may go away in the fall, but it doesn't matter. We only care about June, July, August, right? Uh, that sets up your... Uh, your walker cycle that sets up a dome in the Midwest. Now the very, very hot sea surface temperatures in the central Northern Pacific, which we currently have sets up the position of the dome. They are record that, that don't, that, that they call it a Marine heat wave. That's what they call these things. These pockets of extreme, you know, warm sea surface temperature, they call Marine heat waves. That Marine heat wave is record setting in that Northern central Pacific but it's more easterly this year than the last two years. It was more westerly. So last year's what do we have? Hot, hot out west, not so bad out east. So now because it's more easterly, the position of the dome should be more smack dab in the center of the grain belt towards the east than to the you know west, Midwest towards the west. So the setup is for that to occur where it counts. Iowa. Illinois, Indiana, Eastern Nebraska, you know, the core grain belt states that produce the biggest yields that, you know, have to be involved in a drought if you're going to have a major crop problem. So those are, you know, the kind of things that we see that that give us 
And remember, we're what we're confirming a second 11-year solar cycle peak at half of normal. Um, we're, we're verifying it right now that it's going to be another half of normal, which means we have amplified weather volatility, which means wherever it, the, the domes are, you're going to get excessive extreme heat and drought. And wherever the domes are not, you're going to get excessive flooding, like we saw west with record snowpack. This is the pattern we're in. So all of that tells me that we need to be on guard for um, a, you know, a higher order potential for a dome to set up once we get out of May in that center of the country that, that, that brings in high winds, high heat, and a continuation of the dryness that we're already developing already. In terms of El Nino, remember this is a transition year. Um, we went and have already discussed that 2012 was a transition year and we got to a marginal El Nino by July but the atmosphere just does not just turn on El Nino weather. It, it takes time. So, and even, even if the models are correct, Casey, and we have this um, super El Nino by the fall, which some of the models keep projecting, the last, there's only two years that we had uh, a super El Nino occur after a La Nina the prior year in the fall with a negative PDO, and we still had a drought cycle. So we don't see anything that says that El Nino is going to uh, uh, um, remove or deter the potential for a drought cycle this year. Twenty-four, forget about it. It's going to be wet. It's going to, that's your that's your El Nino. What everyone is talking about this year, that's next year. If we get this big weather move, if we get this big rise in price, the farmer needs to sell twenty-four, like. No one's business. I Meaning, you need to sell what you got, and 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 you're gonna have, and you gotta, you know, you gotta get that because that's the big, big crop year next year, Casey. That's the big bearish year. That's where you get really, you, you finally get those ending stocks up to, you know, blow uh, over bloated levels, and you have a persistent period of oversupply. I think people are just not understanding the teleconnections and how they typically operate. But what they're expecting for this year is for next year. Now, this year doesn't have to be. A severe drought, but we're setting up for that based upon what I just mentioned. Okay. So. so I'm going to show the the uh, Palmer Drought Index real quick and and share that on my screen here real fast. <laughs> Sean, do you see that drought index? Yes. Okay. Yes. You look kind of where we're at now from a from a where it matters type of drought scenario. I mean, obviously. Nebraska and, and north uh, central Kansas is is already in, in a extreme drought. But if you start looking at, you know, central Missouri over into um, Iowa, Illinois starting to develop some some significant drought situations and over into Ohio um, in southern Kentucky in that key Corn Belt soybean area. We have not seen that, Casey. Nice, yeah. We have not seen that setup th at this time of the year in a very, very, I think, I believe, even 2012, we didn't have this. We didn't have this in 2012. It showed up in June. Like, we didn't have this. We're actually going in to June in a much, much more precarious position than we did in 2012. Um, this is, remember, we've had cool temperatures overall, to, which tech actually reduces the evaporation index, and we're still getting this. Yeah. If, if we had actually had a warm April, I mean, this would be way, way worse. Yeah. So this is very concerning to me because as the season gets on and we start developing warmer temperatures and we get the dome going and those winds, I mean, this, this, 
this can develop. See, see the how like this is black almost, Casey. Yeah, right here. Yeah. It's not quite black, but when it's black, like it's pitch black. This is like second worst. I mean, that's what, what if a severe drought, a Gleisberg cycle drought, this is black is going to be pretty much everywhere, or at least deep, deep dark red, purple. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So this is very, you know, this is what counts. The last two years, Casey, it's been pretty much <laughs> that square, right? Yeah. Down here, that's fine. It means you can't have a big crop. Means you're not, but but we've we've had good, but not great. Now you do this, you have a serious. That, that's how you get twenty five percent below normal trend line yields, like we had in two thousand twelve, eighty eight, eighty three, fifty five, thirty six, thirty four. So the setup is there, Casey. Um, the setup is there. Now, this is great for planting because we we have enough subsoil moisture from most places to get the job done. And they're rocking and rolling and planting. We just got the planting numbers last night, and they're going to continue to to crank. And that's creating all this bearishness. And we warned about this, Casey, for months on your show that this, we were, this was the setup, that we we're going to have a very bearish period. But it's also going to offer very shortly an extremely good buying opportunity for livestock producers to lock in corn feed, meal feed, and for producers who have aggressively sold their new crop to maybe counter hedge some of those sales so they don't get caught in hindsight having sold a low price. And they also don't get caught if they just, if they happen to have sold more than they're going to produce. Let's say they were super aggressive. They have the money <laughs> to go out and buy corn if, if they have to fulfill cash contracts. That's something that in 2012, there was a lot of guys that got caught selling corn that they actually didn't grow and had to go out and buy it to deliver on the contract. Yep. So. so one other thing too, on the Stroud index still, if you take a look at this, you know, um, where, where it's at in Kansas, the Texas panhandle and over here in the Oklahoma panhandle, that's where a lot of wheat gets grown in that area. And we're already struggling there too. So I guess, John, when you're looking at this, what you what do you, how do you think that's, I mean, over, overall, I mean, do you kind of feel like maybe the, uh, the wheat that should be emerging now is is kind of at a point where we're kind of well, rains have come in to a lot of areas in the last week and more rain is expected to come in some of these core areas where the rains are falling isn't in kind of it has been in this area huh. the speculators and the algorithms have been taught you sell rain mm -hmm. and they are Case wheat's been absolutely obliterated. <laughs> I think yeah. it's fallen a dollar yeah. here on the rains that, you know, because we, we haven't had a rain drop in probably two years. You know, I'm just joking. You know, I mean, we've had, but, you know, we haven't had, and, and so they, you know, they got some in some areas of, of winter wheat, they got inches with an S that they, you know, we don't, we haven't, so they just sold it hard. Don't get me wrong. There's always an ability to improve a wheat crop even at the tail end like this. And so you will get some improvement, but is it going to be a, a, an improvement? It's going to save the crop from, you know, and make this wonderful, magnificent crop. No, I would be really watching the, uh, I think it's the wheat quality board comes out and does a physical crop tour of winter wheat areas in mid-May every year. It's a, they're a high quality group. They do some, a very good crop tour. They go in and say, you know, I think it's a three or four day tour and they go through camp. They do all, all that stuff. And then they come up with a, a general number. I think that could be a, an important turning point to tell the market, 
yeah, okay, maybe it helped a tiny bit, but this crop is awful. And that could be a, a very important trigger or catalyst to turn the case wheat market around and get the market you know, rallying back up. Because it seems to me, while rains certainly are always welcomed, it looks to me like they just overshot things and the speculators just, you know, as they typically do, Casey, they're just overreacting. Um, and we could get a violent reversion of that uh, mid-late May when that physical crop tour tells the speculators, what in the world did you just do? You guys made a terrible mistake, hard selling Casey wheat here. So that's something I would, I would really watch that uh, wheat quality board crop tour. I think it, it's the only thing that's going to turn Casey wheat around is to have somebody go in there and say, you guys just screwed up. What are you doing? <laughs> what do you? Why did you think this is really going to do any good? And that, and I don't think it. I don't think it has done that much good. But you need you need someone to go in there who's credible to say it did not. Yep. You know. So there's. If I scroll down a little further on that same job map, there's a. This is the long term projections of what they're seeing out there. What they're projecting through. Um, I don't know for sure when this goes through, but this is the long term drought indicator blend percentiles. Um, what that looks like. So if you look here, I mean, Western Kansas, Central Nebraska, Western Iowa. I mean, yeah, what, 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 what the first chart you showed is the shorter term. Yep. Uh, is the shorter term. This is going on the longer term trends, uh, you know, cumulative over like a couple of years. And what does this look like? So, you know, you can have rainfall that, that makes the top chart look better, but it won't really make the long term, the, the bottom chart look as much uh, improve as much because you still have the long-term deficits. Right. What really matters more to the market isn't the long-term deficits, it's the short-term deficits because the market's going to react to are the rains showing up now? Are subsoil are subsoil moisture readings improving now or are they getting worse now? So if you look at the longer-term chart, Iowa and Illinois don't look too bad, but on the short-term chart, they're getting, they look like they're starting to get worse. The market's going to start reacting to the top chart because that's what's going to impact this year's crop more than anything else. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now you've talked a lot about the Glassberg cycle and how that plays into these things. Um, you know, 89 years is what you, is your average time frame. that 89 years, every 89 years or so, uh, plus or minus a couple of years, you run into the Glassberg cycle, which is epic drought situation that comes on top of that so i guess sean looking at where we're at now for in 23 and then you throw a glassberg cycle on top of that we've talked about this a little bit on here so now you've got a a, a world-class drought now and then now you're going to throw another world-class drought on top of that i mean I, I guess are you still thinking that maybe 23 could be that year and if so how do you know when we're in the glassberg cycle and, and when we're not well Remember that um, we went back to 955 and we verified. Uh, now, it can be off a little bit, it, well, you know, one year plus or minus, but it averaged 89 years. There was two years in the Dust Bowl that really stood out as two of the big years. And 34 was the worst year in terms of the PDSI black, okay, and, and the expanse of the drought. But 1936 was right behind it, not quite as bad, but right behind it. 36 was drier. I mean, 34 was drier. 36 was a little bit warmer, but they both were very severe. So the thinking goes that if you go 89 years from 34, it's 23. If you go 89 years from 36, it's 2025. So 
Um, and we know that, you know, the Glassberg is A9, give or take. So so we, we have the window of 23, 24, 25 as the window that the, the Gleisberg year is set up. If it does not happen, it would be the first time since the year 955 that is not verified. So what are we looking at? People ask me, well, what, what, what defines a Gleisberg cycle trout? A typical, if you look at a PDSI um, uh, Palmer drought severity index, it goes from zero to eight, I think it is, or 10 in terms of 10 being the most severe. Okay. If you look at normal droughts, like 2012, I don't, you know, like a severe drought, you tend to get the Palmer drought surveillance to five or six. A Gleisberg drought, you get to like seven to nine, like you're, you're like an order of magnitude worse on, you know, 2012 means you have a lot of reds and some blacks up a, so a, 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 a Gleisberg cycle means it's mostly black. It's just a higher order of aridity of the soil. Um, and people have to remember where did the dust bowl come from? Where did the term come from? It came from crazy winds that were occurring at the time that created record evaporation indices along with the dryness and along with the heat. The Palmer drought severity index is impacted by obviously a lack of rainfall, but you always get rain in any drought year doesn't mean you get no rain it means you get less rain the heat so if you throw an inch of rain in nebraska casey and it's 105 degrees the next day and it's windy that inch is not going to last very long and in fact three days later four days later it'll be like you you will it won't even felt like it ever, ever rained the, the crops will have very little back in argentina experienced three to four inches of rain in late January, early uh, uh, early February, and the grain markets got hit very, very hard. The markets, all oh, the drought was broken, but they had like 110 degrees and high winds. A week, week, and that week later, it was the, gone, and the crops had very little improvement. So people have to remember, rains are one thing, but if you, the evaporation index, which you can measure, we, we look at this every day and see how high is this evaporation index. Um that any range you do get in a situation of high heat and high winds isn't going to do too much, especially if it's on the below normal side. So, so, so a Gleisberg really does require all three. A, a, a severe drought does not. A severe drought requires hot and dry. A Gleisberg cycle requires hot, dry, and above normal windfall for the, for the, for the key growing cycle. Um, that's how you define a, Higher, and that's how you get the black uh, in the color of the PSI in you know the core states. What we've seen up to this point is the dry, the, the, the dry cycle is in place. We've had the third driest April in the core grain belt since 79. Uh, May trends are looking at least as dry, if not drier. Um, and we and obviously anyone that's been paying attention, the winds have been very, very high over a good portion of the Midwest consistently over the last 30 years. In fact, they closed I-55 on a major accident pileup and uh, dust storms uh, because of excessive winds and sandblasting of emerging corn. And I mean, these are the kinds of things that say this year is a little different than your typical year. Um, and those high winds. So, so we have the high winds, we have the drought pattern. We have not had the high heat, but it's spring. It's not, 
you don't typically get the high heat in spring, right? You get the high heats mid June onward. Um, so the next, so the, 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 the next shoe to drop or the next thing that we're feverishly working here with our algorithm models that we created is to kind of figure on when is this dome going to develop and start to bring the high heat in to follow the, the, the winds and the drought that's already developing all our teleconnections and all the sea surface temperature setups that we see that and all the work that we've done say that that is highly likely to arrive you know, late May into mid-June, that window right there, we are likely to see the dome set itself up. Once it does, and those high heat comes in, this the markets that are cheering on dry weathers because the crop could get planted in such fast shape and there's enough subsoil moisture for now to make it emerge are going to start questioning why they got record short into an historic drought like they made the same mistake in 2012. Obviously, Anyone predicting the future can't be uh, can't say that they can have a hundred percent certainty on anything. But what I can tell you is the probabilities favor a severe drought, whether it turns into the Gleisberg in twenty three or we have to wait till twenty five. You know that is still uh, a, a point we'll have to wait and see, but. The conditions are there for the Gleisberg to show up because we are getting the wind, we are getting the drought. And if we do get the heat, those are your three conditions for a Gleisberg kind of drought to set up. And we are in the ideal window for it to happen. Okay. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual, man. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do that? Well, our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We tend to post some interviews we do from time to time that go over these cycles and some of our forecasting. We, we do the same thing on our Twitter page at Faradex 11, and we do the same thing on our LinkedIn page. We're not habitual posters. I want to let everyone know we don't, we don't spend our day glued to the uh, computer posting stuff all day long. That's not what we're in the business to do. But from time to time, we do share some of these interviews to keep people abreast of what we're doing. And so those would be the three best places to try to keep tabs on what we're doing. Of course, watching your, your show as well. So, John, I appreciate you. I think this was one of those, uh, like this is this is a good one because I think this is one of those deals that is not being, um, everyone's acting like this is a short-term thing. And by, after playing season is over, we're going to have this perfect playing season and we're going to have this, this excellent growing conditions and it's not shaping up that way. So it's going to be, uh, this is. We're, we're obviously a contrarian. Yeah. Most people think we're nuts. It's not the first time people have thought we're nuts. People think we've been nuts for the last 30 years that we've been doing this. Um, but we have, ever, you know, our, our track record has been very, very good in how we look at things and how we um, make these recommendations. And, you know, um, we know that most speculators are trend followers. They just follow the trend and they don't really, <laughs> they don't really do any homework at all. Yeah. Um, and so we know that they tend to get themselves up to their eyeballs short at exactly the wrong times and get to their, and they tend to get themselves up to their eyeballs long at exactly the wrong times. And it looks to me with the bearish trade we're getting, which we did predict, by the way, on your show many times, oh, yeah. Yeah. that they're getting themselves up to their eyeballs short just as we're going into some kind of a severe drought. I just think, you know, as much as the consensus says what we're saying today is ridiculous i would argue that the evidence the statistics 
the cycles, the correlations that we have put together going back to 1850 um, and going back hundreds and thousands of years with these cycles um, are suggesting the exact opposite. And up to the, and we're not afraid to change our mind, Casey, if we think something has happened to change the trajectory. You know, our job is to give good advice to our producers. We don't care about anything else. And if we saw something developing that that we thought was not happening the way that we were envisioning, I mean, something like, well, that definitely is not supportive to our thesis. Well, you know, we're data centric, we're objective data centric service. We look at the data and the data decides what we're, you know, what we're going to, to project out there. But up to this point, right now, as I stand here today, nothing has occurred to sway me away from the thesis that we've had all along, that there's, this year is an elevated risk for a severe drought that could morph into the 89-year Gleisberg cycle. Right so, okay. All right, Sean, give your, give your website one more time. Hackettadvisors.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Right on. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. It's always a blast. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at, at Moving Iron Podcast, and check out the video version of this over at the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Be one of the first 150 people to sign up for that, and you get a $50 discount from the folks over at Axon Tire. So take advantage of that. If you need more information about that, send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com and we'll get that uh, get those questions answered for you. New website coming as well up there for the moving iron podcast. Uh website, so check that out coming up here soon. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Moose Iron folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century